This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Funding for Igeret HaTshuva, the Epistle on Repentance, is provided by Isaac, son of Devorah Mindel. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Up to page 1034 In the third part of the Tanya, the letter of Teshuvah until now, he explained the concept of repentance in detail, what it involves, what's the essence of the mitzvah, what is a complete repentance, what one has to do even after he has a complete repentance in order to come back in God's good graces, restore, your, restore the chemistry, restore the trust, restore the connection. But he says now he's going to explain on a deeper level understanding the soul of the idea of teshuva. He says in order to really understand the concept of teshuva, we must, it has to be explained thoroughly and comprehensively. To understand what teshuva means, to understand the secret of teshuva. The way the Zohar discusses Teshuvah. Like anything else, it's only when you have the soul that the body comes alive. To really understand the concept, after you've covered it thoroughly, in a purely legally legal point of view, you have to go a little deeper. To truly understand Teshuvah and to truly, that it should really um, resonate and you should really connect with it Personally, you have to get to the secret of the word Teshuvah. What is the deeper understanding of the idea of Teshuvah? So he quotes the Zohar. The Zohar says, Teshuvah is Tashuv Hey. You have to restore, you have to return the Hey. The Hey refers to God's name. God's name, God's essential name is four letters. Yud, Ke, Vav, Ke. two Hey's. So he says there's two levels of Teshuvah. There's a higher level of Teshuvah and there's a lower level of Teshuvah. Because when a person sins, you separate the letter, the hey, from the other letters. So the lower level of Teshuvah is restoring, reconnecting, putting back the hey that you remove from the first three letters, the Yud Kevav, and bringing it back. The higher level of Teshuvah is restoring the first hey, which became disconnected from the Yud, and you have to restore it. And this is what the Zohar explains, the concept of Teshuvah. So he says, in order to understand, to truly understand the idea of Teshuvah, the only way to truly understand the idea of Teshuvah is by first understanding the secret of Teshuvah, the soul of Teshuvah, the deeper understanding of Teshuvah. The simple understanding of Teshuvah is, you messed up, you have to fix it. You did something wrong. You have to make a resolve, a firm resolve, that you're never going to do it again. You're never going to mess up again. You learned your lesson. You're changing. You're going to change your behavior. That's the basic, elemental, core, simple level of Teshuvah. You're going to change. From now on, you're a different person. You're going to change your behavior. And also, you have to clean up your mess. Everything that we do has an effect. We create scars. You create spiritual scars, psychological scars. You have to mend, you have to fix what you've destroyed. So that's the technical understanding of the show. Why is it important to achieve the basic level of Teshuvah? Why is it important to understand the higher level of Teshuvah? The most lofty a tshuva which not only applies to sinners, but a tshuva that even applies to the tzaddik, the righteous one, who never sinned. 
Because Teshuva on the deepest level refers to, as I'll quote later, refers to the soul going back to its source. The soul going back, reconnecting to its source. To Hashem. And in that sense, teshuva is a way of life. Teshuva is not just for sinners. If you've sinned, then you do teshuva. But teshuva precedes the mitzvah. Teshuva is a way of life. Teshuva is, as King Solomon says at the end of Ecclesiastics, that the soul returns back to its source. That's our life mission. That's our life statement. Our mission statement is to return the soul to its previous state. What do you mean return the soul to its previous state? Because when the soul enters into the body, the soul becomes disconnected or detached. Consciously you become disconnected and detached from your source. You're an independent entity. God blew into the nostrils and he gave him a soul. But the soul doesn't feel its source. The soul feels like an independent entity. But what is the source of the soul? Before God blew, the, the breath was contained within God, was part of God. So the origin of the soul, the source of the soul, is the soul is so connected to its source, it's inseparable from its source. It's one with God. It's God's breath, that God blew His breath into man's nostrils. So, where was that breath before He blew it? The breath comes from within you. So, it was within God. The breath was part of God. So, man's soul was part of God, inseparable from God. It was completely part and one with God. So, when King Solomon says that the, the soul returns to its source... What do you mean the soul returns to its source? The breath returns to its original state. Which is before God blew the breath. When the breath was within God. When the breath was one and inseparable and, and connected with God. It was one with God. All there was was God. You couldn't separate the breath from God before you breathe. Your breath is part of you. Before you, you breathe out. It's part of you. Inseparable. So the soul was completely one and inseparable from God. The simple level of teshuva is that you have to change your behavior. You have to make sure to do the right thing. You have to make sure not to do something that's wrong. And if you did something wrong, if you violated a sin of omission, you didn't do the right thing, or a sin of commission, you did something wrong, so you have to fix it. You have to change. You have to make sure to change your behavior. You'll never repeat the, the bad behavior. You have to recommit. And then you have to fix the mess. Clean the mess. Clean up. Heal the wound. That's the lower level of teshuvah. The higher level of teshuvah. But even, even when you fix the mess, what are you fixing? You're going back to the level that you were before you sinned. You didn't sin. You didn't do anything wrong. You're doing everything that's right. But you're still a separate entity. You're an entity that's separate from God and doing, obeying. You're a good soldier. You're a loyal servant. You're doing everything that you're supposed to be doing. But you're separate. You're a separate entity. But you're an entity that's in tune, that's obeying, that knows you have to do the right thing. But you're still a separate entity that's listening to Hashem. The higher level of teshuva is to reach the level of the soul, to return the soul back to its original state before the soul was separated from God, when the soul was completely one and inseparable from God. So when the soul becomes completely egoless, you get completely out of yourself, there is no self, there is no separate entity, all there is is God, there is no separation, all there is is Hashem. When the soul goes back to its original state, it becomes so connected that it's you and God are inseparable. It's not... So that this is something that even the tzaddik, the righteous one who never sinned, also has to aspire to. Because the moment you're born, you're a separate entity. 
even if you're a holy entity. Even if you're doing everything that's right, you didn't do, you didn't do anything wrong. Or even if you did something wrong, a sin of omission, a sin of commission, but then you fixed it, you did the shuvah, you mended, and now you're back to your original state before you sin. That's fine, but you're still a separate entity. What the soul aspires to is to reach a much deeper cleavage, to cleave and to connect with Hashem, to become one and inseparable from Hashem. Like one entity, inseparable. We become like a half. That's marriage. Marriage is half, two half souls. What's a half? Or the covenant. When Avram made a covenant with Hashem, the first covenant is called the covenant of the, the pieces. Because he took an animal and cut it in half, and Avram walked them in the middle, and Hashem's presence via the fire also walked through the middle. It was in the middle. They met in the middle. What's the idea of cutting something in half? What's the idea of a half? What happens when you cut something in half? What's a half? A half is nothing. A half is nothing. When you take an animal and cut it in half, when you take a person and slice him in half, you have nothing. You don't have a half. You have a dead animal. You have nothing. You can't, you can't have a half. What do you mean half? Half means that it, it's inseparable. It's not you take a, two ropes and you tie it together. Two ropes and tie it together is a friendship. You have a friendship. Two independent people, two separate people, and we're good friends. We join the same political party, we join hands, we join forces, we're working together, we're partners, we're close, we're very close, but still it's two separate entities. A half shows something much deeper. A half means you're nothing without the other person. It's not I am a complete entity and icing on the cake. I also have friendships and I also have social relations. That's like icing on the cake. A half means I am nothing without the other person. What's half? Half is nothing. We're inseparable. Just like the two halves. They're inseparable. The right hand, the left hand, they're inseparable. It's not like the right hand and the left hand are good friends. <laughs> they shake hands together. <laughs> they're inseparable from each other. The left hand hurts, my right hand feels it. I mean, we're all, we're all connected. It, it's, it's one. You become one and inseparable. That's the ultimate covenant, the ultimate bond. That's marriage. Two half souls become one. Not, not just another social relation. It's, 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 it's a reunion of two souls. So that's what the soul aspires to. The soul aspires to become one with Hashem. To go beyond your ego, to go beyond yourself. Not only, even your holy self. Even a holy self. An obedient servant of Hashem. An obedient soldier who's doing everything that's right, and is obeying, and he's listening. Never sin, he's righteous. Or if he sinned, then you fixed it up. You got your act together, you changed, you mended, you even got back in God's good graces. You accomplished all of the above. And the trust is back, and the chemistry is back, but it's still, you're a separate entity that obeys God, that's obedient. That's not what the soul aspires to. What the soul aspires to is the higher level of Teshuvah. This is a way of life. Teshuvah is a way of life. As it says in Ethics of Our Fathers, Rabbi Yaakov says, that Teshuvah comes before repentance. Teshuvah, to return, comes before good deeds. This is what propels and motivates the good deeds. It's a way of life. To be able to want to, the soul wants to, aspires to reconnect with God the way the soul was before the soul entered into the body, before God blew the soul into the nostrils, before the soul became separate from its source. You want to go back, you want to go back like the breath, when the breath is within the person, before it is separated. When the breath is within God, the soul is within God, before God blew it, before it became separate. You want to become completely one with God. That's the higher level of the truth. When the person becomes completely one with Hashem. So what the Rebbe is saying here, that in order to truly understand the simple level of the truth, 
the level of teshuva we discussed in the first three chapters. Fixing, mending, healing, changing your behavior. In order to accomplish even that simple level of teshuva, changing negative behavior, the truth is that it has to be founded on something deeper. It has to be founded on this yearning that every Jew has deep down to connect with Hashem. Even the lowest level of teshuvah, when a person repents because he's afraid, I don't want to start up with God. Hey, God is stronger than me. <laughs> he's the big boss. He's going to beat me up if I don't do the right thing. I, you know, I'm afraid. There's consequences, you know. I don't want to mess. I trust him. It says in the Torah, if you do this, this happens, if you do this, this happens. Wait, am I a fool? Who am I going to trust? The New York Times or the Torah? <laughs> and is it even a contest? <laughs> what kind of question is that? My father used to say, don't believe anything you read in the paper. <laughs> even the date is a lie because it was published yesterday. <laughs> Except the price, maybe. But, but the Torah, everything the Torah tells us is true. It has a 3,800-year track record. Every letter, every word. So if God says in the Torah, don't do this, this is going to happen. You don't, I mean, you don't have to be a big chacham, you don't have to be a big wise guy to figure it out and say, listen, it just doesn't pay to start up with a big boss. I mean, if he says, don't do this. So even someone who has no connection to anything spiritual, no understanding of anything spiritual, he operates on the most basic, simplest level. He's afraid. He's afraid to start out with God. God says, don't do this. <laughs> His hands are trembling. I don't want to do this. Am I crazy? What, I'm going to hurt myself. It's like putting your hand in the socket. You know, life comes with a manual, an instruction manual. The instruction manual says, if you put your finger in a live socket, you're going to get electrocuted. I know, are you going to trust that manual? Probably the electrician who put this house together, probably... The architect and the electrician probably knows what he's talking about. I don't understand electricity. I don't understand how it works. But I know if I put my hand on that finger, I'm going to get electrocuted. I'm going to cross. When the light is red and I'm going to cross, I can get run over. No. I don't follow instruction. I'm independent. <laughs> I want to learn the hard way. Okay. Learn the hard way. Cross the street. <laughs> you know, put your, put your finger in the socket. So it doesn't take a big wise person to figure it out and say, listen, God says, if I sin, I'm putting my finger in the socket, I'm electrocuting myself, I'm hurting myself, I'm harming myself, I'm damaging myself. I'm not going to do it. And if I did it, I better, I better repent and get my act together. I'm sorry. I will never do it again. I made a mistake and I'll never do it again because I'm afraid. I don't want to get hurt. That's the most, in a way, it's almost egotistical, animalistic. You're not thinking about anything godly. You're not thinking about anything soul, spirituality. You're thinking about yourself. I don't want to get hurt. All I care about is myself. But I, 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 you know, I want to be safe. But the truth is that even in that level of teshuva, the simplest, basic, most minimal level of teshuva of repentance, if you scratch beneath the surface, you'll discover that in that teshuva lies the higher level of teshuva. Because ultimately, the ultimate reason, why does a Jew change? Why does a Jew do the right thing? Why does a Jew avoid doing something that's wrong? Ultimately, it's because the soul yearns. Every Jew has a piece of the divine essence. And the soul yearns to be connected with Hashem. Ultimately, the soul yearns, as King Solomon says, to go back to his original state, the way the soul was before it became disconnected. That's what we're all about. That's what we're yearning for. That's what we're looking for. As the fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe says, when a Jew groans, crashes, some, some physical problem that he has, the truth is, that in that krech, in that groan, lies the highest level of teshuvah. Mm. 
<laughs> he thinks he's brokenhearted because his bills are too overwhelming, or because his foot hurts, or that hurts, or this problem. But the truth is, when a Jew gives a sigh, in that sigh lies a deep feeling of regret, or a deep feeling of what he's really sighing about. Sometimes he's not even aware of it. But what he's really sighing about, what's really bothering him and bugging him is, I'm not connected with Hashem. My connection is not... I'm still egotistical. I'm still separate from Hashem. I want to become one with Hashem. That's what really pains us. That's what really bothers us deep down. So when it expresses itself overtly, consciously, even though it may be appear to be that it's a very low level. It's a level of, lower level of teshuvah. I'm just doing teshuvah because I don't want to, I'm afraid of being punished, I'm afraid of the consequences, I'm afraid of getting hurt. You know, very selfish. I, I want to take care of myself. I'm not thinking of anything godly, I'm not thinking of anything spiritual. But the truth is, that change... That ability to change and that ability to move and change yourself and change your behavior. Ultimately, where is that coming from? That wellspring, that fountain, where is that coming from? Where do you get that strength? What are you tapping into? Really, you're tapping into the higher level of Teshuvah. That is the secret. But the problem is, that's the problem, that it's a secret. (laughs) It's so secret that you yourself are not aware of it. And that's, why and that's why you're able to sin in the first place. How does a Jew come to sin? How is it even possible for a Jew to sin? As the Zohar says, says in the Torah, a soul that sins, nefesh kisechta. There are five names for the soul. Nefesh, ruach, neshama, chayichida. Nefesh is the simplest, the basic, the, the, the level of the soul which interfaces with the body, the action, the thought, the speech, the basic elementary, basic level of the soul. So the Zohar says the way to read this verse in the Torah is with a big question mark. With a question mark, question mark. How is it possible for a soul to sin? Even the lowest level of a Jew, a soul. How can a soul, which is divine and godly, sin and disrupt and disconnect itself from Hashem? So how is it possible for a Jew to even come to sin? The answer is because it's a secret. It's such a secret that you yourself are not aware of. You're not aware of your godly essence. You're not aware of what you're really deep down yearning for. You're not aware of what deep down bothers you and is troubling you and is causing you this restlessness and this agitation. And that's why you come to sin. As the Baal said, the Hebrew word for sin, chet, is spelled ches, tes, aleph. But the aleph is silent. It could have been written just ches, tes. The aleph doesn't add anything. It's completely silent. Chet. The answer is, because how is it possible for a Jew to sin? It's only because the Aleph, which refers to Hashem, is, is hidden, is silent. You don't feel the Aleph. Were you to feel the Aleph, were you to feel the godly spark that's located at the center of your being, you wouldn't even come to sin. How would it be even possible to sin? Does an animal, does a cow jump into fire? Even an animal doesn't jump into fire. How can a Jew, for a Jew to sin, is like, is like jumping into fire. How can you harm yourself so? How can, it's like jumping into the ovens, into the gas chamber. Which normal person could jump into an oven? It's completely abnormal. How can a Jew sin? So, it's so beyond. But it's because the Aleph is, high, is silent. The Aleph is hidden. So we don't feel. We don't. And that's why it comes to sin. And that's why, what's the antidote to it? That's how the Rebbe starts out on the top of page 1034. This must now be explained thoroughly and comprehensively. We have to reveal... We have to thoroughly and comprehensively explain and reveal the higher level of teshuvah, the godly spark that's located at the center of your being. When the godly spark becomes, is, emerges and surfaces on a conscious level, when this is very explained thoroughly and comprehensively, this will lead to, this brings a person to teshuvah, even the lower level of teshuvah. This will guarantee that a person will not sin. That's what Alter Rebbe says. This must be explained. This is the only way, and this is the real energy, the real force behind even the lowest level of teshuvah. So, in other words, when a Jew connects with Hashem on, on any level, from a basic level. 
turning away from evil, from, from negative behavior. That's the basic level. A higher level of returning to Hashem is doing good deeds. And doing good deeds, going beyond your nature. Pushing yourself to go beyond your comfort zone. Not just doing good deeds, but going beyond your nature. Doing more than pushing yourself. Learning that extra few minutes. Doing that extra mitzvah. Giving that extra penny to charity. It's pushing yourself. Or whether you're studying Torah. Because by studying Torah you become intimate and you become one with Hashem. So whatever it may be, ultimately, in all of these levels, a Jew has to feel that what, it's, what is this really all about? It's really something godly. I'm really yearning to connect with Hashem. Because my essence is godly, my being is godly. And therefore, I want to act godly. And I want to speak godly. And I want to think godly. So even in the lowest level of Teshuvah, there has to be some connection, some inkling, some awareness, some consciousness of the higher level of Teshuvah. And the Rebbe says, this must be. Because this is the only thing that will guarantee that the Teshuvah is real. Even the lowest level, the basic minimal level of Teshuvah that we discussed in the first three chapters is real is lasting. And this is the, the ultimate motivation behind Teshuvah. That's why the Alter Rebbe starts right away explaining the Zohar. He says to truly understand, to truly get what Teshuvah is, and to truly understand the inner processes, what really happens, what's really going on, the inner dynamics, what's really going on, what's really bothering us, what's really pushing us, what's really motivating us. It's not just that God is going to punish me, lightning is going to strike, and you know, don't mess with God, and God is real, and you know, don't put your hand in the, in the socket or else you're going to get electrocuted. I mean, yeah, that's true. But what's really behind all of this is something much, much more profound, much deeper. It's a yearning for godliness. It's a yearning for the soul of the soul to go back to its original state. Before God blew into man's nostril, when that breath was still part of God, inseparable from God, where the soul is yearning to become completely one with Hashem. And that's really what a Jew is all about. And you see that expressed even in the most basic, the most mundane, the simplest, even the lowest level of Teshuvah. This is really what's behind all of this, behind the level of Teshuvah. Okay, and then we started. He says also to understand what it says in the Zohar. It says in the Zohar, in page 1034, it says in the Zohar, that tshuva does not help for anyone who violates the, the covenant and for the wasteful omission of, of, of semen. He says it's very strange. This is, this is what's written in the Zohar in a few places. Not in all places, in a few places. In more than one place, according to one version... The Zohar says that the Shuva helps with the exception for the sin of wasteful emission. So we discussed, this goes against Psychology 101, but that we discussed last time. And al Rebbe says it's a very strange concept, because we know that there's nothing in the world that stands before the Shuva. The Talmud says, the Ramanides brings from the Jerusalem Talmud, that even if a person is on his deathbed, in the last breath of his life, the last moment of his life, even if he's one who has no share in the world to come, he sinned the worst sins in the world. Idolatry, adultery, murder. If he repents, his repentance is accepted and he has a share in the world to come. That's why one moment of life in this world is so precious. Because once you die, you're fixed. Whatever you have, you have. There's no more change. But one moment of life in this world, the last dying moment, the last breathing moment, you can turn your whole life around. 180 degrees. In that moment of genuine regret, when you see God, the last moment of your life, in that moment of genuine regret, you can turn your whole life around. That's the power of Teshuvah. So if Teshuvah helps, for the worst sins, and the three cardinal sins, which you have to give your life for, idolatry, adultery, and murder, and surely, Wasteful emission can't be worse 
and idolatry, idolatry, adultery, and murder combined. The Talmud does compare wasteful omission to all these three sins. It's like adultery. It's like murder because you've taken the potential for life and you've wasted it. It's also the equivalent of idolatry. You're worshipping yourself. Your life is about yourself, your own pleasure. It's not about anything divine or godly, what my mission in life is, what my purpose in life is, anything higher. The sum total of your life is really worshipping yourself and it's all about instant gratification and it's the ultimate sense of idolatry. You're denying God. You're denying any purpose in creation, in life, in being. So it's the equivalent of idolatry, adultery, and murder. But if we find that Teshuvah helps even for the worst sins of idolatry, adultery, and murder, surely wasteful omission, which the Talmud equates to idolatry, adultery, and murder, if Teshuvah helps idolatry, adultery, and murder, literally idolatry, adultery, and murder, surely Teshuvah can help for the sin of wasteful omission. So he quoted the Reish's Chachma, the Reish's Chachma, page 1035, the Reish's Chachma said that the intention of the Zohar is that the lower level of Teshuvah is not effective. But the higher level of Teshuvah is effective. And we see from this something very, very profound. That the Zohar, when the Zohar says, talks about Teshuvah, the Zohar Teshuvah without any adjectives. What level of Teshuvah are we talking about? The lower level of Teshuvah. Not the higher level of Teshuvah. So, when we learned earlier, when it says Teshuvah helps for everything, and yet the Zohar says in two places that Teshuvah doesn't help for the sin of wasteful omission. For the sin of wasteful omission, you need a higher level of Teshuvah. On the other hand, the Talmud says Teshuvah helps for everything, including idolatry, adultery, and murder, surely including wasteful omission. And yet the Zohar says Teshuvah doesn't help. So what does it mean? So we're talking about two different things. Because there's two aspects. When a person sins, there's two aspects. When a person sins... A, you create a barrier between you and God. You create a barrier. There's dissonance. There's, there's static. It's, it's, your soul can't connect with God. That's one thing. One aspect. And you basically became a rebel. You went AWOL on God. You ran, you ran away from the army of Hashem. <laughs> you skipped down. <laughs> Instead of being a soldier, a faithful soldier, an obedient, faithful, loyal soldier, suddenly the king can't rely on you. You ran away. He's giving you an order. You imagine a soldier not obeying? <laughs> you're a court-martial. What do you mean you don't obey? You're a soldier. You can't pick and choose. Hey, well, you can't, you can't pick and choose. You're in the army, you're in the army. An order is an order. Right? Anyone here is in the army? <laughs> okay. An order is an order. Right? Well, all of a sudden, well, I'm not in the mood today. I'm not interested, really. <laughs> it's, not the way, it's not the way the army works. Either you're a faithful soldier or you're not. So the moment you don't listen, you, 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 you're, you're, you're AWOL. You're, 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 not, you're not. And for that, Shuvah helps immediately. The moment you change and you say, from now on I'm going to listen. I'm going to follow my commandments and follow order and follow commands, you immediately re-accept. Because you've re-enlisted and you're forgiven. Fine. You messed up, fine. But now you've regretted what you've done and you have realized a mistake and you've made a firm resolution that from now on you're going to change. So that you accept. But then there's another problem, another aspect, like we learned earlier in chapter 1. How about the mess that you create? Besides the personal disobedience and the personal rebellion, you've rebelled against the king, 
when you sin, when you do an act of commission, you sin, you've actually created a huge mess. Created the scar in your soul, in the universe, in Hashem. Because we're so connected, everything that we do has such an effect, such an impact. And here you see, even a person who's been sinning for decades, his sin still has an impact because, because he's so connected. So you have to clean up the mess. So that's what the Zohar is referring to. In order to clean up the mess, the impact of wasteful emission is so profound as we learned in the first part of Tanya, chapter, the end of chapter 7, you can go to lessons in Tanya, chapter, the end of chapter 7, that the impact in a certain sense is even worse than all the other, all the other um, sins associated with, uh, with sexuality, with immoral sins. The damage that's done through wasteful emission in a certain sense is the worst. So for that, you have to clean up. How do you mend How do you mend for all that? You've taken the opportunity for life and you've wasted it. How do you take something, something that the Talmud says is the equivalent of idolatry, adultery, and murder, all three combined? So, okay. You, were, you went a while and now you're re-enlisted and you've been accepted back. That's fine. That's good for you. But how about the mess that you created? The damage that you've done? The havoc that you've reaped? How do you make up for that? For that, the lower level of tshuva is not enough. For that, you need a higher level of tshuva. That's what the Zohar means. But of course, the lower level of tshuva is effective. That you no longer... you reconnected, you re-enlisted, you reconnected, you've torn down the barrier between you and Hashem. That, even the lowest level of tshuva helps. But... In order to, to mend the damage that you've done for this sin, and this sin alone, you need the higher level of Teshuvah. The highest level of Teshuvah. So again, Al-Tarebi is re- saying here, he's reinforcing what he just started saying, that the Teshuvah, whenever he's talking about Teshuvah, we refer to the lower level of Teshuvah. But in order to truly get to the lower level of truth, to understand the lower level of tshuva, you really have to understand the higher level of tshuva. Because even in the lower level of tshuva, there has to be some of the element of the higher level of tshuva. There has to be some godly feeling, some godly connection. It can't, it's not just about ego. Okay, God is going to hurt me, and God, lightning is going to strike, and if I do this, I'm going to get hurt. Don't mess with God. God is more powerful than me, and I'm smart enough to realize that God is the creator. He's my cause. He's the omnipotent, the omniscient, he's the almighty, all-powerful, and, you know, if he says he's going to hurt me, I, I better watch out, and I better take his word for it, and I better do what's right, or else. You know, that can't be... That's not what it's all about. That's all ego. I'm doing it because I don't want to get hurt. It's animalistic. It's egotistical. It's natural. There's nothing godly about it. There has to be a godly element in every Jew and in everything that a Jew does. Especially in Teshuvah, even the lowest level of Teshuvah. There has to be that element of I'm trying to reconnect. Ultimately, it's about reconnecting. It's not just about paying my debts, paying my dues, getting back in God's good graces, it's about connecting. It's a godly connection. Because that's my essence, that's what I'm all about. So even on the lowest level, and the truth is, even if you're not aware of it, the truth is, that is ultimately what motivates a Jew. Why, will a, why would a Jew change? Ultimately, it's because you have a godly essence. And that's what's driving you, and that's what's propelling you, and that's what's motivating you, whether you're aware of it or not, that's the truth. And in a certain sense, you see that in the lowest level of teshuva, even more so than in the other level of teshuva. Because the basic, elemental, simple level of teshuva, where you change your behavior, you make a drastic change, 180 degree change. Before I was doing something wrong, and now I resolve I'm going to change, and from now on I'll never do this again, and I'm going to promise God that from now on I'm going to... That change is a very drastic change. That change 
is really going totally out of your ego. You know, that, that, that's genuine. So in a certain sense, that expresses the deepest connection of a Jew to God. The deepest yearning of a Jew to God. What's the deepest yearning of a Jew? As King Solomon says at the end of Ecclesiastics, my soul wants to return to the level the way it was before it came into this world, when it was completely one with God. Where is that expressed most? When the Jew breaks himself, when he breaks, when he's very coarse and crass and egotistical and materialistic and mired in his negativity and his sin, and yet he breaks loose and he breaks free only for God's sake. So he thinks he's doing it because he's afraid of punishment, because he's afraid of putting his hand into the electrical socket that's going to get electrocuted. But the truth is, what's really driving and motivating you? You're doing it for God's sake. Because you want to get out of your ego. You want to become one with Hashem. So even in the lowest level of Teshuvah, what you see expressed is really the highest level of Teshuvah. And that's why in a certain sense, even the lowest level of Teshuvah, as the Talmud says, simple language, nothing stops Teshuvah. Teshuvah helps for everything. And whenever we say Teshuvah, we establish what does Teshuvah mean, the lower level of Teshuvah. That even the lowest level of tshuva, nothing stops, nothing interferes, nothing can get away of the, of the tshuva. Even idolatry, adultery, and murder, and surely wasteful omission, which is the equivalent of all the three. So, so even the lower level of tshuva contains within it the seeds of the higher level of tshuva. So therefore, even the atonement that the Zohar is speaking about, that in order to achieve an atonement, you need the heart for wasteful emission, you must have the higher level of Teshuvah. Even that level, the seeds for that is already found, even the lower level of Teshuvah. So not only does the lower level of Teshuvah remove the, the barrier between you and God and re-enlist you in the army of Hashem and reconnects you, but the truth is, it ultimately, in a certain sense, it even, on some level, even accomplishes a certain atonement. Because the seeds of the higher level of tshuva is contained in the lower level of tshuva. But you want to bring it out openly. In order to bring it out openly, and then the healing and the, the cleansing could be complete and total and conscious. Because ultimately, that's the ultimate barrier between a Jew and Hashem. You know, the test of how connected we are with Hashem is our intimate life, our sexual life, uh, the, way, the way we behave behind closed doors and the privacy of our mind and our homes. You know, a Jew who lives a compartmentalized life where in the synagogue, in the public, you behave one way and in private, you behave a different way. That means that you're not, you're not really, that connection, that connection is not there. Because connection, connection, it's like a marriage. A marriage is total. Yes. Marriage is 100%. It's not 99.9%. Religion is compartmentalized. It could be 90%, 85%, 70%. But you reserve a private space for yourself. <laughs> God, okay, I gave you 90% of my life. Now leave me 10%. Let me enjoy myself. And Judaism doesn't work again. Judaism is 100%. It is or it isn't. There's no half measures. You can't be half pregnant. You are or you aren't. You're married or you're not married. You're connected or you're not connected. It's 100%. So the ultimate expression of that whole connection is in the intimacy. And that's the reason why Alter Rebbe wrote this whole part of Tanya. This whole part of Tanya, the third part of Tanya, is here to teach us how to deal with this most vexing and <laughs> of all issues, which is our intimacy, our private life, sexuality, especially in this culture and society, which is inundated by it and gives us all the wrong messages. And couldn't be more, more wrong-headed. And, but, but this is how do you really deal with this issue? And it's only through getting to the secret and getting to the soul of the Shuvah, getting to the secret of the Shuvah, and understanding what a Jewish soul is all about and what drives us and what motivates us and what propels us and what, what, are, what are we aspiring to and what are we looking for and what are we yearning for in life. What's our essence all about? It's only, only when you have that clarity and you're in touch with that and you experience it and you connect with it, only then could you truly be whole 
and wholesome. And this is the moment of truth. This is where you can see where it's all about. A person who's religious, but in this area in his life, he's not pure, he's not... He really missed the whole point of Judaism. He really didn't get the whole point. Judaism happens in the bedroom. It doesn't happen in public, or in the synagogue. The synagogue is completely incidental. The essence is what happens privately. And, you know, if you don't get that point, you really miss the whole point. <laughs> Can I just ask one yes, quick sure, question? I sure. have many, but I'll just... Can you clarify what is meant by waste ownership? Is it just when it's not about procreation? Yeah, no, 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 God forbid. God forbid. Oh, that's a very good question. No, God forbid. Every time a husband and wife are together, um, is, it's a mitzvah, it's a holy. The reason why children come as a result of husband and wife being intimate together, it's not just a means to an end, you know. In order to have children, okay, it's so husband and wife are allowed to be together. You know, humans are not animals. Animals only bond once a year when they need to give birth. There's no intimacy, there's no relationships, there's no marriage amongst animals. Human beings are souls and are ends in themselves. And husband and wife being together is something holy in itself and so beautiful. The masculine energy and the feminine energy come together and... um, and uh, as a result of this beautiful unity, that's why children result from something so beautiful. But the Zohar says every time husband and wife come together in holiness and purity, they give birth. If not to physical children, they give birth to spiritual children. So they give birth to a holy spirit. And that explains as why a person at the other end of the world could be walking down the street or wake up in the morning and suddenly feel inspired, wholesome, holy, uplifted. You can't explain it. It's like an inspiration that comes out of thin air. Suddenly you feel inspired. You want to learn. You want to daven. Your mind is clear. Everything, you feel connected. Where did this come from? Out of the blue. You didn't do anything. You didn't prepare yourself. So Zohar says, you know where this comes from? This comes from the union husband and wife that came together in holiness and purity and love, they gave birth to a Holy Spirit that entered this person. So, so because husband and wife coming together, every time they come together in marriage, not premarital, not extramarital, and husband and wife, male and female, only, exclusively, they give birth to something holy. It's a soul connection. And therefore there's always something, something always results in, in that's, that's purity. Wasteful emission is, he talks about masturbation, and that's wasteful emission. Um, so, he says that. Yeah, I yeah. Just to follow up, so, um, you know, let's say uh, a woman is past her uh, birth giving period. Right. But it's, uh, a, it's a kosher union. So, that's right? a mitzvah. Every time they come together, so, it's a mitzvah. So, every time you come together in those situations where you don't need Nida or anything one. like that, it's a spiritual birth. It's yeah, it's a spiritual birth, and, and it's a beautiful marriage. is an end in itself. It's not, just, it's not just in order to procreate. If it was only in order to procreate, then husband and wife would be together ten times in a lifetime, whatever. How many children God blesses them, and then it'll be over. But that's not the way it works. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Every time husband and wife comes together, God is present. It's holy, special, the holy of holies. Mm. We're not sexuality is not something to be ashamed of in Judaism. It's something holy, and it's the holiest thing in the world. It's beautiful and holy and special. Um, and as because it's so holy, that's why something so powerful as birth, creation, results from it. But but every time husband and wife are together, and they're married, and marriage is something eternal. They're strengthening the marriage, reinforcing the marriage, reinforcing the connection, expressing that connection, that soul connection, that unconditional love, and that's holy. And Hashem is present. That's beautiful. That's not that's not wasteful mission. God forbid. It's it's when it's not in the context of marriage, when it's not in the context of love, when it's just about infatuation, infatuation, uh, self gratification. 
reducing something so holy and something so powerful and something so deep like sexuality, reducing it to the equivalent to a cup of water or chicken soup or a cup of coke, to something that's skin deep and valueless and meaningless and soulless and loveless. That's criminal. That's the worst. That's why it's the equivalent of idolatry and adultery and murder. Because you've taken, you've taken the holiest thing that we have and reduced it to nothing. And anyone who teaches that and predicates that is, is you know, it's like the worst crime. You know, you're taking vulnerable youth who don't know any better, instead of teaching them, elevating them, to harness this powerful energy, you've basically robbed them of their soul, robbed them of the opportunity to even to lift them up, you know, to be able to lift up, to soar, to connect to something higher, to realize, you know, what life is all about. And um, so that's why it's the equivalent of idolatry, adultery, and murder. And that was the most beautiful answer, I must say. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. You did well. <laughs> You know, when, when, when they teach sex education in schools, they have to teach Tanya. <laughs> That's what they have to teach. Instead of the news, I just read the news, what they're teaching today. It's shocking. Bestiality and... Uh, yeah, it was in the news today. Yeah. New York State, the New York City schools are trying to teach young kids sex education, teach them about bestiality. <laughs> it's like, you know, this is how far we've come. Uh, you know, this is the enlightenment. Uh, you should learn some Tanya. Learn the story of Joseph. Now you know what sex education is. Sorry, you? No, I just wanted to say that, uh, like in this society, uh, among you know people who are like in their twenties and thirties, um, you know, um, you know, they think they're in love, and I mean, it's an open relationship, and um, you know, there's caring and all of that, but this is still considered wasteful admission, right? Yes, it is a wasteful mission because when it doesn't even have the chance of giving birth, you know, when it's done in a way that it can't give birth, and and uh, that's wasteful mission. And not only that, you that's know, it's, it's like a lack of commitment. You know, you know, I think back to my marriage vows, right? I mean, at my age, when I got married, I don't know, it didn't resonate the way it would resonate now, you know? And so, I mean, if it isn't going to be like till death do us part kind of thing, then I, you know, may be considered wasteful. No, no, you're right. I mean, the way the way the way it's done, where it's uh, prevented, you can't even give birth. That is waste. Yeah, that is wasteful. Wasn't there a story about two gentlemen that were supposed to be with the wife and pulled out and that was wasted? I mean, that's, that's in the Torah. Air, air, and onon. Yes. He's going to quote it. Uh, he's going to quote it soon, right? The next oh, page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Very good. You're up. You're up on your Bible. <laughs> right. That's why it's called onanism, right? Yes. Because they right. They pulled out and they died. So, so the Zohar is saying that in order, the damage that's done. In order to mend the damage that was done, for that you need a higher level of teshuvah. But of course, surely the lower level of tshuva is enough, strong enough to restore your good God's, in God's good graces, to remove the barrier, the iron barrier between you and Hashem. And you're re-enlisted, you're re-enrolled, you're re-accepted, and you're forgiven. But in order to make up for all the damage that was done, for that you need a higher level of tshuva. This is in the singular, you need a higher level of tshuva. But the truth is that even in the lower level of tshuva, you have this kernel, the seeds, for the higher level of tshuva. And that's the point al is making here, that really to, to understand the lower level of tshuva, you really have to understand the higher level of tshuva because they, the truth is they're both connected. And deep down, if you look beneath the surface, what's the real motivation behind every Jew? Even when a Jew does the lower level of tshuva, the real motivation is really the higher level of truth. It's a yearning for godliness. A hunger for godliness. 
And what's, what, what bothers you is the fact that you're disconnected from God. So you think what's bothering you is you're afraid of punishment. You, you don't want to start with God. God is going to hurt you. But the truth is, that's not really what it's about. Deep down, what it's really all about is it's really a hunger for God. But the reason why you're able to sin in the first place is because it's a secret. Because you're not aware of it. Consciously, you don't feel that. Consciously, you're still stuck in this prison. You're still limited and you're thinking about ego and self and very animalistic. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want God to punish me. I'm afraid of the consequences. But the, so we have to, that's what Alter Rebbe says, that his mission is, his task is, we have to explain it thoroughly and comprehensively. We have to take this point, this point of godliness that's located at the center of our being, and we're going to explain it thoroughly and comprehensively and bringing it, bringing it out to the open and let it emerge and surface to our conscious level. Once it emerges and surfaces in the conscious level and a Jew gets a taste and a feeling and a connection of godliness, this will guarantee the lower level of tshuva and this will ultimately give us what we're really looking for. So that's why he's explaining this to every Jew. This is not written, this book is not written to holy people, to the top elite, the 1%, right? This is talking to the 99%. <laughs> this is talking to all of us, the rest of us, the Benini. Not only the rich, the billionaires, the spiritual billionaires, the elite. He's talking to all of us. Because this is relevant to all of us. This is important for all of us. says we must... It must be explained. Otherwise, you can't really do teshuva. You can't understand the process of teshuva. In, in order to understand the process of teshuva, this is for everyone, for all the 100%, the 99% for the rest of us, this must be explained thoroughly and comprehensively, the higher level of teshuva, the real dynamic. It's really going on underneath the surface. You know, it has a life of its own. Our soul has a life of its own. Thank God we're not who we think we are. There's so much going on inside of us that we're completely clueless. There's such a rich inner life that we are completely, you know, most people on the surface look so dull. And, but the truth is, there's such a rich inner life that's, that's going on because the soul has a life of its own. And the Alter Rebbe's mission was to reveal and to thoroughly explain and comprehensively explain and to reveal and allow this to get a glimpse and appreciation, understanding. Understanding what's really going on inside. And only then could the tshuva be whole and complete. And the truth is, even when we're not aware of it, that's really what's going on. That's really what a Jew is all about. And ironically, it's expressed in the simplest. Because when you make that change, when you break yourself, you break your nature, you've sinned. You've tasted sin. It's good. You like it. And you break your nature and you change. Just for Hashem. What's that really all about? You, you're getting out of your ego. You're breaking yourself. You're breaking your ego. You're getting out of your ego. You're getting out of yourself. Isn't that what a Jew yearns and desires for? The whole yearning of a Jew is to get out of his ego. To get out of himself. To return the soul back to its original state. Its pristine state. The way it was before God blew into his nostrils. When the breath was still part of God. When you're completely egoless and completely one with God. When you break your ego, when you change your negative behavior, that, that simple act is so pure in a sense. You know, you're, you're in a very low state. You're crass and you're coarse. You've sinned. And yet you break out of it just for the sake of Hashem. That act is so pure and touches so deep it really comes from the core and essence of a Jew. So that touches the higher level of the Shul, And it contains the seeds of the higher level of Shul. And therefore, ultimately, even the lower level of Shul, as the Talmud says, there's nothing that stands in the way of the Shul. Even idolatry, adultery, and murder, and of course, wasteful semen, which, wasteful emission, which is the equivalent of idolatry, adultery, and murder. That even the lower level of Shul, in a certain sense, also accomplishes the atonement also accomplishes the atonement and the cleansing for because it contains within it the higher level of truth. So there is nothing that stands in the way of truth. So the Alter Rebbe says, so in order to understand all of this, to be able to understand all of this, 
And he says, and then we're going to continue next week because we have a, we are going to have an evening service. Someone has a yard site, so we'll stop here in a minute and take questions. But next week we're going to continue. The Alter Rebbe says also to understand to get a, to grasp even a minute glimmer of this. Page ten thirty five. He says in order to understand this, we have to understand the concept of when the Torah says that if you certain sins, the penalty is karis. Your soul is cut off from its source. Or death in the hands of heaven. And yet we find that there are many people who sin and live happily ever after. <laughs> the worst sins, and they don't die, and they live very happy lives, a very comfortable lives, untroubled, wrinkle-free, smooth-free, smooth, smooth lives, no problem. When the Torah says you get cut off. So let's open for questions and answers, and we'll 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 learn this piece next week. Yeah. And the cleaning up your mess part on the shuba, Rabbi. Yeah. And you know the the other thing of sinning is very often it's hurting somebody else, and um, so not only leaving a scar in the universe and everything, and very good. Um, there sometimes you can't take that back. Um, you know, the, your buddy, the rabbi, told the story about um, Lashon Hara, where you're, you, you know, throw a, a, break a pillow into the air and the feathers go out, you can't get them back in. And how do you deal? That's a very good question, very good point. The sins between man and man, in order to fix, let's say you stole money, it's very nice, you can make a resolution, you're never going to steal again, but you still have to return the money that you've stolen. And um, if you don't return the money, so firstly, you haven't fixed the damage that you've done. And secondly, the sincerity of your change is also questionable. What do you mean you made a resolution never to steal again? But, but you, didn't, you didn't return all the millions that you've already stolen. So it's not, it's not a genuine... But the truth is, even if you return the money, you have to obtain the forgiveness. You hurt them. So it's not enough. Even Yom Kippur, even Hashem can't forgive you. You have to, that you have to get the other person to forgive you. What if you sin, the other person dies? You hurt, you insulted another person, he dies. You have to go to his grave, you have to take a million of Jews with you, and you have to ask him forgiveness. Yes, you have to go to his grave, and you have to, if you insulted him while he was alive, if you insulted him after he died, then you can just take a, ten people, wherever you are, and ask his forgiveness. But if you insulted him while he was alive and he died, you have to go to the grave, travel to the cemetery, take a million of Jews with you and ask him forgiveness. Um, if you did a sin which he can't fix, like you said, you said, Lashon Hara, and you did, the damage is done, you don't know who hurt it, you don't know what you've done, you go on the airwaves and you, uh, you, mess, you, you say something nasty about someone and you destroyed his <laughs> reputation, right? And then how do you fix it? Uh, there's nothing you could do. So that's a serious, serious question. Then you have to mend, you have to do things, you have to dedicate your life to do things, something that's commensurate. You have to start, whatever damage you've done, you have to do something commensurate also to say good things about people from now on and and do it publicly. And then just like you can do damage by saying one bad thing and you can ruin a person's reputation for life, Imagine the power of good, how much you can do the same thing. You can do something good that also affects thousands of people without you knowing who you affected. So you have to find a way to, let's say a person, the person killed, took a life by mistake. You know, how, do you, you have to, how do you fix that? You can't bring back a life. But there are things you can do. You, you, you help life, you help uh, orphans, you help bring Torah to the world. I mean, there are certain things. I mean, this is discussed in the classical works. What do you do if you did something terrible and there's no way you fix it? You, you did damage to the public, you can't take it back. So do something good to the public. And, and, uh, you know, that will benefit so many, so many people, even people uh, you don't even know who you've been. So it has to be something commensurate. You know, that's the best that you can do. Nothing else you can do. You know, when you talk about uh, returning the soul to its original state and all of that, uh, you know... Here to four, you know, I would think that uh, it's all of above. In other words, uh, there's really no real connection that you know is commensurate with that. But maybe, uh, but it would appear that what you're talking about here and what we've learned, uh, you know, in earlier times and all that, that this connection to Hashem 
is in this world. In other words, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's why it, it's a secret. Because we think that the connection to Hashem is going to be right. in Olam Haba. The literal meaning of the verse, that the soul will return to God who gave it. Right. But here, the secret is much deeper than that. That it's referring to life in this world, while the soul is in this world, at the higher level of truth, the soul is seeking and yearning and aspiring to go back to the level of the soul before it came into this world. Before God blew the breath into man's, Adam's nostrils, when the breath was still part of God and inseparable from God. Because even the righteous person, as we learned earlier in Tanya, uh, first part, chapter 35, that even the tzaddik, the complete tzaddik, is a separate entity, is apart from God. God blew into his nostrils. It's, it's, it's a breath of God, but it's still separate. The soul wants to go back to the, the way this, the breath was before it was separated from God. It was completely one with God. And that's what the soul aspires to. You, want, you have this existential angst. You want to get it out of your existence, out of your ego, out of your separation. You want to become one with God. And that's what drives and motivates all that you do. The Torah, the mitzvah, that's the real drive behind everything. Even someone who never sinned. It's a way of life. Truth is not just for sinners, even for the righteous. The most righteous person It's a way of life that drives you and motivates you. And the truth is, this is the secret behind even the lower level of tshuva. Because what, what do you really, what bothers you when you sin? What really bothers you when you sin? It's not just that you messed up, you're going to get punished. What really bothers you is because you're godly. And therefore you're allergic to sin. It bothers you. How can I do something ungodly? How can I do something, how can I disconnect myself from God? When, I, when deep down I want to become so one with God, I don't want to be separated at all. How can I go and do a sin which completely breaks the separation and disconnects me? When my whole being, I want to be not just obedient and somewhat connected. I want to become inseparable from God. I want to become like a half, completely one, unified with God. Like in marriage. So that's ultimately what motivates me and propels me to make that drastic change and to change my behavior with even the lowest level of Teshuvah. That's this kernel, the secret. That's the secret. But the purpose of the Tanya is to reveal the secret. <laughs> this was a secret for thousands of years. Dr. Rebbe says, we have, to, we, have to, we have to come out of the closet. Yeah, you've got to take it out of reveal the secret and reveal what's really going on. One, One last question, yeah. The, the entire soul is not within us, though. It's part of it somewhere else. Okay, very good. Right? So the, are, are, we, are we affecting the part that's not here also? Yes. Okay. We're affecting, but on some levels, sin, on some levels, sin cannot affect the higher level. That's what we're going to learn later. Very good. Okay, Kalman. You can see Kalman is the veteran Tanya learner. He's learning Tanya the fifth time. The whole Tanya. So he's touching on something very deep. And that's what the Rebbe is going to discuss in the later chapters. The level of sin affects the surface of the soul. There's higher levels of the soul. But in order to understand that, the Rebbe gives the introduction. We have to understand the idea. What, what does the Torah mean? Your soul be cut off. In the olden days, literally, people used to die or young. So we'll get into that uh, next week. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.